Welcome to another episode of Dengo Thoughts. This time I traveled to Mexico to do an interview. This time I'm talking to Dimitri Parfait. Dimitri has Huntington's disease that, for the ones of you that don't know, is a neurological disorder that is genetic. And what it does over time, it causes your motor and mental abilities to deteriorate and eventually kills you. It's a scary condition, to say the least, because you're living on a ticking clock. But Dimitri did something interesting. He took the rest of his life in his own hands. He decided to bike all over the world and raise awareness of the disease of the condition and bring comfort to the communities around the world that have the condition in their society. And he creates a network that allows for those communities around the world to unite and be more aware of each other and support each other, including contributing to research, uh, dealing with the impact on the families and the friends. So I saw it as a very noble mission. So I thought it would be important enough and interesting to travel and speak to Dimitri while he was in Mexico uh, waiting to start his uh, South America tour. You guys should follow Dimitri and contribute to his journey if you can. When I arrived in Mexico, I've encountered a very unique individual, someone who is not afraid to dream big, even though he got a prognosis that nobody wants to hear. But at the same time, he's very measured and real. And in one part of the conversation, he told me, I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid every day. And I live with that fear. Something I have to accept and see past it. During the conversations with Dimitri, I found a few moments in which I didn't know what to say. Because the obvious thing is to always talk about the condition and the thing that he does, which we did. But I was trying to ask questions that are more about how he sees the world outside of the condition and the disease. And it's not always easy to do because I can't even imagine having a prognosis like that visiting me. And how would I react? What would I do? Would I cave and fold and just fall apart? Or would I be strong enough to be able to push myself to try and achieve a mission with the rest of my days? I don't know. I do know, however, that truly I was inspired, truly moved by what one individual can decide about their lives and what it means for them to be alive. So I hope you'll take as much inspiration from it as I have. And now, without further ado, I give you my conversation with Dimitri Buffet. Dimitri, how are you? I'm good, and you? I'm doing amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's an honor to meet you, first of all. I, uh, I heard a little bit about you from uh, my girlfriend who told me about you, you and your mission. Mm -hmm. And um, we, just to be clear to everybody, we're in Mexico right now, which is the first uh, checkpoint where you're going to start your next uh, part of your journey and your mission. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, I, I want everybody to first kind of have a, a little bit of a background mm -hmm. of what's going on here, why I want to talk to you and who you are and yeah, for sure. what is your actual mission, if you don't mind telling us. So actually, I'm Dimitri from France. I'm 33 years old. Um, originally from the north of France, like close to Belgium. And actually, I'm here in Mexico City right now because I'm starting like a bike trip in a few weeks. So I'm going to travel all around like Latin America. So I, I would like to go until Argentina by bike, obviously. And why I'm making this like is because, you know, I'm working with Huntington Association. Because, well, I'm, I'm myself carrying, carrying like the gene of Huntington disease. So I know that I'm positive, like I got tested three years ago, but I, I'm still asymptomatic right now. But my sister is healed. My dad like died from this disease like 20 years ago right now. 
So, can, so be, before we go on that track, I don't mean to cut you off, but like a little bit more. Can you first give us like a one minute or two minute explanation of what what is Huntington's? What is uh, what is the actual condition? So Huntington disease is like a neurologic disease, genetic and hereditary. So you only get the disease from your parents. So if, for example, if your dad get the disease, you gonna have like 50% of chance to get the disease as well. And like, what's the disease actually? It's like, you have three different kinds of symptoms. So like cognitive, um, motors and psychiatric. So, so, it's a, so it's neurological, right? It's neurological, yeah, yeah absolutely. So you're gonna lose the balance actually when you walk then you're gonna have some lack of speech, you know? Like, at first, the people who get the disease, like the passion, they look like drunk people, you know? It's like they lose the balance all the time, and they have, like, a lot of difficulties to talk. Is that pretty early in the disease? When you, or Yeah, it's real. That's, like, the early symptoms, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. And then you started to get, like, motors symptoms, so, which means you you have some, like uncontrollable movements you know like you cannot control your body you got like some movements all the time so it's like very large ticks yeah like ticks absolutely and then like for example my sister she's ill from 10 years right now so she has a lot of psychiatric troubles issues you know so for example she's really depressed so since 10 years, she never, like, get out. She never seen any doctors. She's really depressed. She don't want to see anyone. She don't want to talk to anybody. She, she don't want to get help. Wow. And beside that, she has, like, a lot of psychiatric symptoms, like I said. So she's a bit, like, bipolar, we say in English. Yeah. Then she has some hallucination. Oh, so it gets to, like, yeah, a... You, like, the disease getting to dementia. You know? Oh wow! So you have like around fifteen years, twenty years from 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 like the first symptoms like, to oh. the dementia. So I, actually, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that the disease uh, advances to such. So okay, so it actually gets to like a dementia level. Like, yeah, absolutely. And by that point, you already. Do you get to like? Uh, you never get to like a like a Stephen Hawking level, right? It's not like you completely atrophy. Like it's mostly just no control right i mean it's still pretty bad but i'm just trying to understand the extent it's of like where a it mix get... of alzheimer parkinson and als oh what a winner what, it, yeah, what, a, what a winner absolutely jesus yeah. christ yeah, 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 wow so and you've been you you said you stayed pretty asymptomatic so far mm -hmm. how long ago were you diagnosed three years you said three years ago yeah. and you're still pretty asymptomatic yeah, what does that mean in the in the classical literature of the disease like what does that mean for like are there precedents like you like you know discovery and then there's like a big hiatus of nothing nothing bad happens for a while is that is this something that happens so actually it's like you get a score you know so there is some statistic because like Huntington disease is like um on a certain gene which is called Huntington, right? Oh, that's why it's... Okay. Yeah, so on this gene, there is a protein that we call Huntington, and there is some triplets, you know, that we call CAG. If you have, like, until 34 CAG, you don't going to get the disease. Like, for example, from my mother, I only get six, 17 uh, triplets, you know, 17 CAG. But then, if you get, like, it starts at 34, 
until 39. So if you have like 34 to 39 CAG, it means you can get the disease, but really like late in, in your life and with like light symptoms, you know, but you can like pass it to your kids because it's a genetic disease, right? But from 40 CAG, you are sure you're going to get the disease. So, for example, my, my sister, she got like 49 CAG. So that's why it started really like early because she started to get the disease at around like 28 years old, actually. So it's really early and with really strong symptoms, for sure, because more you have CAG. So more... there's a threshold, basically. Mm -hmm. When you go over that threshold, the percentages go way up with the actual yeah. showing of what mm -hmm. the disease does. Yeah, that's okay. how it works. Yeah. And myself, I have like 45 CAG, so I'm like in the middle. So from the statistic, they say I should like develop the disease until uh, between 35 years old and 40 years old. That's okay. And you're 33 now. I'm sorry, it's right now. Yeah. Okay. So now take me a little bit through now that we have a little bit of context of what your condition is. Um, first of all, what made you decide to do what you do now? Mm -hmm. How did that come about? How did that decision happen? And if you can give me a little bit of like the, the your reasons for it. Because there's like the external, like, okay, I think this is important because, but then there's like the personal reasons, you know, like why you feel that, like, is it a form of taking control of the situation? Is it whatever it is for you? I would love to see why you think this. Well, actually right now, like. First, sorry, so, so, tell us what you're actually doing. What's your organization? What's your mission? And So like I said, I'm about to travel all around Latin America by bike. I'm working with like Huntington Association in Europe, in France, and one in the US actually, who is helping people in Latin America. And with this network, I'm going to meet a lot of people on my way who are related to the disease. So like families who are living with the disease, com like isolated communities, uh, doctors, like neurologists, geneticians. So I'm meeting a lot of people on my way. And the goal is like to make some awareness about the disease, you know. And also what I want in this project is like connecting everyone because it's a rare disease. For example, in France, we only, we only have like 6,000 cases. What's the population of France? It's, uh, 67 billion, actually. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So we only so have like, 6,000. That's, that's like not even a point percent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we only have like... So they feel very isolated like they feel very alone yeah. it's not like nobody knows about it mm -hmm. so nobody really knows what it is absolutely. so you're trying to connect the absolutely because i think like we are stronger together right and like the dc doesn't have any borders so if we can work all together with latin america europe the us canada africa you know, because there is some people who have the, the disease as well in africa we can like like make a strong community and try to raise some awareness and i don't know like trying to get a treatment and you uh, the organization is called uh, ex is it exploring for Huntington or what is it called that's the name of my project no, of your project explore what is it for Huntington explore for Huntington mm -hmm. and in it just to make it clear for people you basically travel the world on a bicycle correct no I didn't I travel the world but not on a bike you know because like no, like you, you go from country to country on a plane right but mm -hmm. or, is, or is the bicycle a new thing no the bicycle is a absolutely new thing actually oh okay interesting like before the pandemic i traveled the world for like around two years and i i came back in france like just before the pandemic actually and why i started to travel like that is because when i got tested like three years ago 
I was about like to like leave my job, like get a master's degree, trying to improve my like career. But when I I discovered that I'm carrying the gene, I was like, all right, you know, I just wanna like make my dream true and enjoy my life as much as possible. I didn't have any girlfriend. I I had the money at that time to do it, so that's why I, I left everything and I I traveled the world. What was your it, it's by no means even any central point but just out of curiosity what was your main focus academically like what were you, what was the masters you wanted to go for i like to work like in like business and marketing you know and my plan was to get back in vancouver canada because i used to live like for a year over there i really like like the city the people the environment and but my plan was to get back there yeah interesting okay and then you decided okay i'm gonna uh, so how how do you start with what you're doing? Did you go to the organization and offered, hey guys, I want to do something that is meaningful. I want to meet people. Is that yeah, how you absolutely? Went okay. That's what I did. You know, with social network like <clears throat> and the internet. You know, I got some contact and I like I sent some email and I present my project and there it is. Okay. But why this project actually is because you know. I'd love to, like, I know I can get a disease in a few years, right? So what I want right now is, like, like living my life as I want, you know, like, like doing everything I, I like, actually living from my passion. And, and I know that maybe I'm going to have, like, a shorter life than most of people. So what I want is, like, <clears throat> like sharing something with people and, like, do not have any regrets, you know, in my life. That's my purpose right now. Like, what, whatever happens, like, in two years is going to be all right because I did my best. That's what I think, you know. Yeah. And that, that was my impression. I didn't want to speak for you, but, um, you know, the closer friends to me that I told that I'm going to go and do the interview and they asked me what it's about, I said, well, my impression is that it's a form of uh, taking control of the situation, mm -hmm. which is like, Okay, I have this, even though we all, all have limited time, it is true that when you get a certain like reminder that you might have a shorter time and you almost get like a, a bracket that you have to fill in, mm -hmm. then it seems like it's like it becomes a very kind of like, you know, okay. But it sounds beautiful or romantic when you think about it from the side, but I'm sure it's very different to actually be on the side that actually has to make that decision. A lot of people just give up, which is, I totally get that too. Like, it's just kind of like this, I'm sure that you just want to kind of crawl into a fetal position, you know, just like, just like, oh, it feels unfair. I think that that part must play kind of like a role, maybe not for you, I don't know, maybe for you or not, but it seems logical to me that for people with uh, similar situations in which any prognosis that entails a limited time, it seems like, logically the the feeling of this is unfair must be so pronounced mm -hmm. you know what i mean so that that was my impression of of why you decided to do this and also it is an important cause connecting people that are in a similar condition and actually talking from a perspective of somebody who has the condition versus somebody who's talking about it from the outside which has a very different it's kind completely of way completely yeah, different way. Mm -hmm. does it does it would you say that on a daily basis you have this kind of looming over you or you already got pretty good at just like, okay, like we go, you know? 
honestly, I'm, I'm scared, you know, to get the disease for sure. And like, I'm wondering every time if I don't develop any symptoms, you know, I'm like watching myself all the time. So for sure, I'm scared. I cannot, because it's already like strong disease, you know, I can see my, my sister right now. She's so weak, you know, she's, it's really terrible, you know, and even for helpers, like people who help the patient, it's really, really hard, you know, so. Of course, I'm scared, but I want to try to do my best, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel that... So, first of all, that bike thing, you said it's relatively new. What made you make that decision? Like, by bike, traveling yeah, by bike? Yeah, why all of a sudden bike? Because I needed to make something big, you know? To get, like, attraction from medias, from, like, from you, for example. from Like, to get, like, to make awareness for Huntington if I just travel, like, by flight. Everybody can do it, right? Yeah, it's not as yeah. So the idea by bike is, is it was like, all right, this guy is doing something different that most of people is is completely crazy. And also, I like like exercise. I really like sports. You know, I'm, I'm really healthy since like year, six, seven years ago right now. So it's like I can bring all of my my experience. You know, like because I traveled the world for two years. I got a, like a good physical condition. I can speak English, Spanish. So it's it's not like common in France that people are speaking different languages. So I want to bring like all of my experiences, my knowledges to this cause actually. That, that's what I want. Well, I, it worked. Because mm-hmm. I think the, the bike thing is what got my attention more than anything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, that, that's a very smart decision. And myself, I'm doing something that I like, you know. You like? I'm leading also, the adventure. Yeah. I'm traveling. I'm meeting people. I'm doing like exercise every day. So I haven't traveled to a country that I don't speak the language in a long time. Mm-hmm. The last one I've been to was in Colombia, I think. So I guess also Spanish, but I, I get a really good reminder of what it's like to feel like a fish out of water. Like even to make a simple order, even though you kind of know a few words, you always feel like this insecurity. So I'm sure it's very different, even like even much more when you're trying to like travel, travel. Like, go, you really got to have a little bit of the uh, control mm-hmm. of the language. Yeah, for sure. And have you been to a lot of countries in South America or none of them? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've been oh. like Colombia, Peru, Bolivia, Chile, Argentina, Brazil. So, yeah, I know a lot. So, let me uh, uh, make a little change in pace. Mm-hmm. Um, you just uh, came back from your first Vipassana retreat. You did a 10-day silent meditation uh Kelsey, my girlfriend, when we finished it, she said, it definitely should not be called a retreat. <laughs> it, should, it should be called a course, which is what it is. <laughs> She's like, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also the most important thing I've ever done. And you actually biked there, which took you three days to bike one direction. No, no, no I didn't bike there. Oh, you didn't bike there. Okay. No, no, I, thought, I got a bus to get there. Okay, good, good. It was much easier. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I was like, that's crazy. It's still like, I'm sure that it was. But that was my plan at first. Yeah. yeah. It was just like, no, no, no. I think, I think it's important, especially after you don't want to be like. You know, yeah, that's like, why. That's what I was thinking about the after like, yeah. retreat. You know, I was like, maybe I'm going to be kind of lost, you know. So, so tell me a little bit about this. About my About experience? your experience, yeah. Well, that was. Like, I'm, I started to meditate and to learn about Vipassana, like, two years ago right now. Because when I was traveling, I met a lot of people who knew about Vipassana. About and they told you. Yeah. And they told me. You know, so yeah. they share me some books. They share me, like, some knowledge. They share, they share me, like, some YouTube channel. So I started to get into it. But I never, like, experienced the retreats. So that was my purpose. But since the pandemic in Europe is kind of difficult to 
like to get a retreat so i didn't get any spots and when i checked like before traveling here in mexico like two months ago there was a spot you know so i applied directly and well i found it so yeah i'm pretty glad but tell me a little bit about the but experience. so yeah my experience was because i well the, the I first want everyone to understand i want to premise this but if i want to understand that this is my five cent and then i want you to give us your whole spiel is that uh, you know people if when you tell them about retreat their main a lot of people retort with oh yeah i've been meditating for a long time and you don't want to sound condescending but i know because i was also meditating for a long time before i did the first retreat and when i did the first retreat i realized oh i never meditated yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like people That's like i've been meditating for eight years yeah. i'm like no you haven't you don't yeah you don't. so because so. it's like a way of living meditating it's not just about like making a kind of exercise for an hour or no it's like a way of living you gotta change your way of thinking like you gotta meditate all the time you know through the day and so like for the first four days everything was all right you know like when i did like the anapana anapana stage i was so excited you know at the beginning i was like oh my god finally i got lucky i can like learn and i'm i, I could like heard like the the sn guenka songs you know it was so amazing i was like oh my god everything is great and I'm, i'm really into it and i was so excited and so motivated and then wait so tell everybody what anapana is because i so know but anapana is like you only focus on your breath so the only thing you do is like you observe you don't do anything you're not looking for any sensation you're not looking for like you don't have any rejection you just observe you just observe your breath getting in getting out getting in getting out that's all So you are doing that for like three days in a row. So obviously it's pretty tough for, for most of people because you don't do anything else. So that means for like almost 11 hours a day, you are just observing your breath all the time. And why you are doing that is because when you gotta start Vipassana, you gotta be more concentrated and your, your brain gonna be like sharp, you know? So when you're gonna try to observe any other sensation. Because Vipassana is like observing your body, right? Every sensation from the top of your head to your feet. So when you're gonna start to, I don't know, try to observe the sensation on your arms, it's gonna be so easy because before you did like three days of only observing your breath, like getting out and in from your, from your nose. So that's the beginning of the retreats. Then from the day four, We started like Vipassana, finally. You can get into it and you can learn from it. And I had like a really strong experience, like directly at the, at, at the, first, the first day at the first day of Vipassana because I connect with my like, how do we call that? Like my energy flow, you know? So just you had a free sensation right away? I got like a light, you know? Wow. In my head, you know? And I could feel my brain, I could... Like, I got a lot, a lot of strong sensation. I could feel all my bones, all my skull. You know, it was, it was really, really amazing. So I meditate for two hours straight, you know, yeah. without moving in any other Yeah, yeah, posture. so you did, you did the uh, strong determination. Yeah, uh, but even the... more, because I did like two hours, you know, straight. Because I, I, just... I, I was enjoying my sensation. I was like, oh my God, I can feel like my heart. I can, I can feel everything, you know, it's crazy. But the thing is like, I started with really strong sensation. And so the thing is like, you are not, you don't have to looking for any sensation, right? 
So what happened is like the days later, I was, I was looking for every sensation in my body all the time. I was looking for the same sensation that on the first day, you know, and that's yeah, the chasing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what we. That were, was because was... we are making desire, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the, that, that's the that's what I wanted to say. That I uh, the first time I went, I when they did they introduced the other ton, the strong determination. I went there with a very kind of like Russian attitude of like, you know, we're gonna do this eleven hours a day, no 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 breaks, no nothing. I was there every day at like four twenty a.m. Uh, no, I did the same actually. Yeah, yeah, I it's the so way to go. Yeah. yeah, and and when I did the first other time, I also did uh, a few hours because I was just like you. I had like enjoyed the feeling, mm-hmm. and then I had actually had like a very intense pain in my knee. But at that point, I was already in a state in which it wasn't pain; it was just sensation. So I stayed with it, and I felt you know it's, it kind of elevates you. You feel like very elated that you could you know just look at it as a sensation. And actually, that's I always tell the story to people to illustrate how at that moment when I when I got uh, done with that session, when I went outside, I felt like I was on acid. Mm-hmm. Literally, everything was like crispy, clear. I was like, "What is this?" And, and then I realized it's a bandwidth problem. You can see There's every like, detail. It's crazy. Yeah. So I realized it's a real science. Mm-hmm. But then, just like you're saying, the next day I had the worst day. Absolutely. Because I was chasing that feeling. I was like, desire all yeah, the time. I wanted this feeling all mm-hmm. the time. So that after the first, so you had this at the first uh, on the fourth day, or the first day of Vipassana. Yeah, the first day of Vipassana. And then, uh, and then you was, had a pretty roller coaster yeah, time after absolutely. that. Absolutely, really roller coaster. Like sometimes I, I was feeling so good, and sometimes I was so bad. Like sometimes because you got pain in your bodies for sure by staying like eleven hours a day in the same position, but I could like handle like the physical pain. But the mental pain, yeah, that's complete. Because like there is a point in the retreat that your mind doesn't want to meditate anymore. It's like disgust about meditation. I was like, what the hell am I doing here? I want to get out. You know, I was I was feeling terrible, and also like all your impurities are getting out, right? So I could I could felt like my anger. I could feel like I was so sad. You know, I could I had a lot of different emotion, right? It, it, it was really hard, yeah. Do you, are you, like, do you consider yourself or do you, what do you believe about the world? Let's just put it the most broadly. So, like, do you come from, because I know most French people, this is, like, such a generalization, but most French people that I met, they're pretty secular. They're very, like, come on, you know, it's very, like, ah, like, it's very, like, straight into the point. There's not a lot of room for uh, maybe forms of spirituality, but definitely not a lot of room for religion or God. And I'm sure there are, but it seems like it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty safe bet that most people in France, they're pretty like secular and just like what works in science and stuff like that. Do you belong in the same camp or do, are you more religious? Or no, I, I guess my question to you is like, did, did any of that shift for you from your perspective before to the perspective after? Well, I... Like, my belief, actually, is like the nature. For me, the God is the nature. You know, we are all from the nature. We are briefing because of the nature. We need to eat, to drink, you know. So, I believe in the nature. But I don't have any, like, religion. I don't believe in any gods, for sure. But I do believe in spirituality. Yeah, so, sure. do you believe spirituality in the sense because that there are spirits? Because for me, it's like a science. Or, but do you believe there's, like, a realm beyond this? No, I don't think so. You don't think so? No. Okay. And, uh, and uh, wh- how do you view the whole, like, what you're going through in Vipassana? 
is just like your brain arranging itself all over again, like in a in a more healthy way or yeah absolutely because okay. you know i had like a really hard background you know i had a lot of troubles in my life and i well for me vipassana was tough you know because i i got a lot of things to get out from my mind you know so yeah when i started vipassana like until day 10 it was really hard i got a lot of like like strong emotion you know and i i could like relieve some part of my life, like 20 years ago, you know, I could like see my father, I could hear like, I could hear some people that I didn't meet in 15 years, you know. I like think, audibly hear yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what, so interesting. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. Wow. Did you have any visions, like a visual? Uh... No, I didn't get any vision. No, nothing. No. That's interesting. Not that it really matters. The, like, the, the whole emphasis in Vipassana is still always. Like this doesn't matter. Like yeah, yeah. It's you just but move on. Just yeah. observe. You don't yeah. react to anything. You don't react. That's to the anything, purpose yeah. of it. But it is interesting how many different experiences your brain all of a sudden throws at mm -hmm. you. It's definitely. Uh, but for me, it was like a big introspection, you know, because you are alone with your mind for ten days in a row, like eleven hours a day, and you are meditating all the time. So you can you can observe all your thoughts, you know, and everything is getting out. It's it's a kind of like you purify your mind, I guess. Do you ever ponder about the big questions, like, or it's something that you don't not that interested in? Like, what, like, what why? do you mean? Like, why, 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 why this? What's going on here? Like, why, why are we here? You know what I mean? Not in the sense of like who put us here, but like, why? Like, why does anything exist? Why do we exist? Do you ever think about that, or is something that you don't usually occupy yourself with? Well, I don't know, actually. I have no idea, you know. If, like, oh, no, I'm we, not asking you for we, an answer. <laughs> we all have, like, a purpose on Earth. That's what you meant. No, like, in the sense of, like, do you, like, you know, when, um, it's like a, one of those thoughts that hits you in the back of your mind before you try to fall asleep sometimes, which is, like, this is so weird. Like, why am I me? You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Like the, these. But there is no me, actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> but, but, but why am I this unit here, right? Why am I... That, this is a very good point. But um, well, maybe you don't. Like that's, I was just wondering. Because I, I would assume that, you know, people that are religious, uh, even though it's always difficult to deal with uh, a situation like yours, I'm sure there's some relief in the belief that you're going to be with God or something like this, right? It mm -hmm. kind of gives you a little bit of a cushion there, I would assume. Um, because you don't have any of that. I wonder if, and not even as a mechanism to cope, but just in general, does it, did it ever occur to you that actually, if we are, you know, the only ones in the universe, it's actually much weirder I don't think we are the only Yeah, but the it's actually much weirder than just having aliens everywhere, but then, you know, where they are. So, like, there's some people that, you know, they completely nerd out from the subject and they, like, it, it really occupies them. Some people, not at all, and some people kind of in the middle. So, I guess I'm asking, where do you fall on that spectrum? Like, is this something that sometimes, like, you think about and it's interesting? Or, it's like, well, you know, it doesn't, I mean, I don't know, and that's where it ends for me. I think it's all about science, you know, mm. if we are here today, like animals, nature and everything, like, it's all about science and I don't have, like, the knowledge to talk about. Okay. Like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not asking, like, But I don't believe, like, that someone, like, creates 
like humans, animals, like health and, and everything. No, I don't believe in this kind of topics. Yeah. No. Yeah. So you but I do believe that there is over life in the universe for sure because why we should be like alone is impossible. yeah that, that's a way that's there a is weird like one. billion of like galaxy right so yeah, yeah. And, it is a weird one yeah but you don't think but i would assume you don't think that aliens visited here right not like i don't know maybe actually yeah, yeah it's it's possible it's yeah. possible for sure with everything that's going on right now with the pentagon and all that stuff might, might be who knows uh so you believe basically that with where this when this ends it ends that's for us, at least, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that definitely puts a little bit of more of a pressure cooker on having I, living the full life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. let me go back to your mission. Uh, right now, you're going to South America. Mm -hmm. uh, the organizations that you usually have interactions with, like I mean, they all are around uh, communities that that have uh, the the condition in their amongst them, right? Mm -hmm. um, I would, I would assume hospitals that deal with the right like is there like a special is this like a specialty unit usually in the hospital this is just like like some... neurologic oh okay got it so any anything else? for example here in like mexico city i already like be, been to the neurologic institute of mexico you know so i could like talk with doctors researcher and like see how do they make the test for example for the disease you know see like the triplet how do you like how do you like check on your gene and all your genome actually and see about like how does it work actually because for me it's fascinating you know like i get tested but i didn't see like what's happening like in the background right so it's really interesting, and I, I can share like everything with like the Huntington community. So I guess it's like interesting for them too. Oh, because your experience of it. Mm -hmm. What there's no treatment to with you know with keep the symptoms at bay or or anything that even resembles a potential solution, right? Nothing. So there is no cure at all. So there is some like investigation, some research, but at that time there is no cure. But we have some treatment for like the symptoms. The yeah. symptoms a little bit to hold them back for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So the, the, I would assume that a cure would have to entail some modulation of the genetic code, right? Yeah. That would be the only. Way. That's why it's really complex, right? Yeah. Because it's all about genetic, and it's like a brain disease. So, so maybe something like CRISPR, like technology like CRISPR, might give some answers, but. So far, we don't know. So far, absolutely, no... we don't know. Wow, that is so. And when you when you say that sometimes you're afraid, is it something that you have to deal with daily and you have to keep it at bay, or is it like outbursts that you know when, when you have like a period of time in which you feel that more? I'm thinking about this disease daily, you know, because like I said, I'm wondering like every little symptoms that are related to the disease. I think it's like all right, the disease is starting, you know. Because it's like a disease who takes time, right? You don't gonna wake up tomorrow and you have all the symptoms. It's like a neurodegenerative disease. So every month, every year, like the disease is like, well, literally, literally eating your brain, you know? So at first you get like some light symptoms, like mood swings, for example, or some aggressivity, but we can all have mood swings or saying, aggressivity. Yeah. So, so that's why it's really hard. Like yeah. you can get some like 
like unbalance and it's not related to Huntington. But if you are at risk or if you know like me that you carry the gene, for sure you're going to think about Huntington yeah. straight. You know? The framing of it is very yeah. different. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it terrifies you at that moment. Sam Harris has uh, made this point many times where the framing around some uh, any kind of pain is everything. Because mm -hmm. if you, you're doing a, you know, a big deadlift and at that moment you're like, you know, you, you're doing a bicep curl and you feel the pain and then the next day you feel the pain from working out and you know that you, you know, this is a good thing. It's very different than, than if the exact same pain would be because you know you have bone cancer and you, you feel the, it, it's, it's just because you know that. Absolutely. Your response to it is completely different. That's why like 80% of people, at least in France, they don't want to get tested, even if they are at risk, right? So they make family, they have kids and everything. Oh, they don't want to know. They don't want to know. They don't That's interesting. Because they are too scared. Did you say 60%? 80, 80%. 80%. 80%, yeah. That's all. I don't know in the US, actually. That is very... How do you run that statistics? How do you... From, like, the institute in France. Oh, so they... But how do they know they have it if they never got... Oh, when, when they pass Because away. Because they, they are at risk, right? They oh. know, like, the parents, the families who they... Oh, I see, I see. So busy. the people who are at risk don't get tested 80%. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you decided to get tested because you decided you wanted to know. You want to know. Because I would, like, make some plan about my future, right? Mm -hmm. I was, like, turning... Well, at first, I was turning on 30 years old, and my dad got the disease around 30 years old, my sister as well. So I was like, all right. You know, like maybe in a couple of years I'm going to get a disease, so I should like get tested. But then as well, it's like I, I needed to make some plan in my life, you know, if I can. Because like right now, for example, I don't want to make any family, you know. Yeah, you don't want to pass it to your I'm so scared. Like we can we can test like the baby be, be before he's born, right? So I don't I don't know how, do we, how do we call that in English, actually. When you get tested on like the embryo. Yeah. 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 So you, well, depending on what stage it is, but embryo would be in the beginning, yeah? We can know on the embryo, it's like if the baby... You mean when it's a fetus? I think embryo, you, you wouldn't know. You would know on an embryonic stage? So like embryo is before it's even a fetus, I think. Yeah, yeah. So we can know. You can know even in the embryo. We can know, yeah. Wow. If he has like Huntington disease. That's crazy. So some people, you know, they are like getting their kids tested. And then they are sure the kids don't going to get the disease for sure. 100%. But in my position, like, if I get some kids today or, like, I don't know, in two years, and in 10 years, I get the disease, you know, I don't want to leave my family with this kind of disease. You yeah. know? Because I know how hard it is to help, like, people who are living with the disease. I mean, it's really hard for patients, for, for sure, because they carry the disease, but it's really hard for people around you. Know? Around them, because they're also going to have to live with your absence. Mm -hmm. and, that, that's... and like mood swing, aggressivity, violence, you know. Like it's, oh, it gets to that point. It's like you help a lot. You help from, from the morning till the night, until you get to the bed, you know. But you got to help without anything back, you know. Yeah, you gotta love completely. Yeah, absolutely. So you, but you, also, you basically grew up with it because you said your dad mm -hmm. passed away from it, and and your sister has it. Well, actually, my dad I didn't really know about the disease because my parents were separated. So my dad was living in the south of France. I was living in the north, so I couldn't see my dad at all. And at the end, he ended up like living in the street. You know, he was homeless for five years, living with this disease. Wow. Because he didn't get any like help from his family. My family didn't help him as well, so he, so was, he ended up 
with he, the mood swings, with the... Yeah, and everything, like, in the street. That is so crazy. Yeah, it is. That is wild. Mm -hmm. Wow, man. That's that's some gnarly shit. Yeah. That's crazy. So, wow, I, that's... And so, did you not know about your dad at all? Like, or, like, did you discover this after you passed away, or you knew about that? No. I discovered that... Um, uh, oh my god, I got the Spanish world it's in all my good, mind. It's all good. <laughs> After he passed away. There we go. Wow. We, because at that time, like it was like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, we didn't know about this disease, you know. My dad, he he got Huntington for like 15 years. He didn't even know he has Huntington, you know. How did it make you feel when you found that out? Like were you angry at the people who didn't tell you, or you just got scared that, you know, immediately that you had it or what was your immediate response to it? I got scared, you know, because I knew straight that it was like a genetic and hereditary disease. And I was thinking more about myself than my dad because I didn't really know him, right? And, well, actually, exactly the same for my sister. Mm -hmm. Wow. So my dad passed away when I was like 11 years old. And I discovered he has Huntington when I was maybe 18. So seven years later. Jesus. Yeah. Because I couldn't get like his like medical file, right? Because in France there is like a law, you need to get eighteen years old if you want to get like a medical file. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I would assume that also relationships is something that you probably shy away from because you don't want to put the person through that, right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, you... until like thirty years old. I didn't know that I was like positive, right? So I, I was scared, like most of people actually who don't want to get tested. I was like in the same situation. I was so scared. I do, I wouldn't talk about it. I wouldn't learn anything about this disease. I just like burying your head in the sand. Absolutely. I don't want to know. Yeah, I don't want to. Which, I, by the way, I totally get. I, I don't know if I would. And most of know. people are doing that, you know. Yeah. It's almost like you know. Sometimes it's kind of hard to. Mm -hmm. You see it with COVID a lot. People just don't believe they can get it. You know what I mean? It's yeah, kind of like sure. this, it will never happen to me kind of thing, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous because, I mean... Well, that's usual in humans, you know. If yeah. we don't experience, we don't believe in it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's a very strong point. I, like, right now, I'm talking every time with my families, my friends, and people that I meet, that you guys, you should care about your health because that's the first thing that you need in your life. Before everything is your health. If you don't have health, what can you do? Yeah, with all the money in the world, the health doesn't. There is no money. There is no relationship. There, there is nothing, you know. There's no enjoying. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So the health is like the most important thing. But for like people, they don't get it, you know. Because they are young. They are like 30 years old. Everything is doing well. So they don't, they don't mind, you know. They think it's only for other people. One of the things that I think is the most important so you know the, the podcast is about devoting yourself to either a craft or um i mean this this interview show i'm doing is about either devoting yourself to a craft or uh to a goal um and really living outside the bounds of what people would consider normal right I, at first it wasn't really clear to me why this is such an important thing that i think should be out there uh, and again, there's a lot of content that covers, you know, that in different ways. But I think the reason it, with each one of those episodes, I'm realizing more and more that the thing that is important in it for me personally is to show that it's it's really possible 
to make a completely different life for yourself depending on what your choices are and i think in your in your situation it's it's such a clear cut line of like am i going to live my life or i'm going to feel sorry for myself and just allow the fear to dictate uh what i'm going to do next or not going to do next and uh what you just said about Well, until people don't experience it, they don't fully like entertain the real possibility. I think that's it's such a simple but very powerful statement because it's absolutely true. People uh, might sympathize with like I have sympathy precondition, but I can't possibly know the depth of the impact yeah, for sure. of the of mm-hmm. the thing. Uh, we all been to rough times. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I'm saying that is because I don't know you well enough. But it seems to me that you're you keeping your head above the ground in a way that is very uh, realistic and truthful to the condition to yourself to what you think is important and uh, and I think that if you strip away everything that this condition might bring into your life or will bring into your life at a certain point, this path is available for anyone it's just a matter of like the the weight of not living your the 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 price of not living your life fully i had a i have a friend who one time we were talking on the phone I actually don't remember the conversation in detail but there was a phrase that he said before uh, we ended the conversation which was like i was like whoa uh he said I said something about paying a price about something. And he said, well, Danny, we all pay a price every day with our lives. And it's such a, again, simple thing. But I was like, whoa, okay. Because every day that you get up in the morning and you don't want to go outside and explore, you don't want to go and like push yourself to do the best of whatever it is that you happen to find, any situation you find yourself in, that day is gone. Yeah, absolutely. Th- you can't get it back. No, you're not going to sure. get it back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, not, it's not about, like, obviously, with, with condition, like any, any terminal condition that, you know, you have a certain prognosis that gives you a certain amount of time, it puts some uh, emphasis on it, for sure. But I think it's available for everybody. I'm, I'm, I think that the thing that is being lost every day Uh, you know, people always talk about how, you know, there's this narrative of like, we have to like be closer to nature, social media is bad, that, that whole meme, right? Or meme plex. I think the real problem with the way that people, um, where people lose the, the plot is not in that even. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that our place is in the future. It's in, uh, in the stars. It's, I'm all for modernity. Like, I think it's important to remember where you came from, and I think it's important to value the things that we've created, culture, antiquity, and like you know all the culture. very important. But I think ultimately, we want to strive for you know for, for uh, the future, for like the virtual reality and everything that we can possibly imagine. What, where I think the, the, the bad thing is is not in the, like it's not in social media, it's, it's in the fact that 
it makes it very things like social media makes it, it grabs our attention so much that it makes it very easy to forget so i think that ultimately the thing that is again bad in in social media and things like that it's not the it's the fact that it grabs our attention so much that it makes us forget how valuable each moment really is so things like vipassana definitely remind you For sure. like it br- definitely brings you back to like this yeah, vipassana it's a big deal it's it's a big deal and i and i know for a fact especially with again with your journey vipassana would be like such an amazing like added tool but i guess the deeper point i wanted to make was that it's it's so important i think that people have this certain amount of control over their attention to just to remember how important it is to tell your loved ones that you love them today to go outside and and have a connection with your experience it it doesn't even matter if it's nature or the city it's connection with your experience of the world and i think that is the main thing that is being lost and when i hear a story like yours um it's it's very easy to fall uh a victim to this very powerful emotion that you get uh when you're sitting in front of someone who you know have to deal with that so it's because this this is very strong empathy right but i think the this the 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 impulse that I, i would love to bring more out is actually the respect element of it mm-hmm. so it's like there's the empathy but the, there's this deep respect to not just you know talking about it but actually doing something about it but also really really like living with both the consequences and everything that you have to do so in that regard i want to i want to emphasize that, that there's this i'm very moved by the fact that that uh you choose you chose to take control over the situation in this way and it it really it really 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 is uh, a reminder for me that re- you can ha- you can always have a better time than what you're having it's really a matter of a choice mm-hmm. um do you feel that because you you kind of like Let me think about how to frame this question. So you daily constantly looking for these conditions, right? Which is like the worst condition of like a hypochondriac because you know, no, I I actually have a thing here. So yeah, like yeah. I like I'm not just fucking making shit up, right? How much of that time do you find like enjoy like are there a lot of joyous moments in your day or mostly it's just kind of like keeping this The fear and no, no. no actually my my day are joyful and I'm happy and I'm enjoying each second of my day but I'm I'm not like freaking out every day right I'm not like anxious or getting anxiety about that, knowing that I'm gonna get this disease but it's just that like knowing that I will get this disease for sure I'm wondering myself I'm like observing myself all the time you know but I'm I'm doing well, you know. And especially I think because like a lot of people they tell me, "All right, Dimitri, you are I I'd like to be brave like you. I like to be strong like you." But like I said all the time, I'm not stronger or braver than anyone. It's just like I'm working, you know. 
every day I'm trying to do things who develop my health, you know, like my, my mental health and my physical health, you know. So that's the first thing I care about, you know, since I get tested for sure. I would think that if you don't do that, like to a large extent, it's also for you because if you wouldn't do that, then the meaning would drop out. And mm -hmm. if there's no meaning, then... That and it's really... like a fight, you know, it's like I want to try to like to come on how can i say that like, like i, I want to try to get this disease as later as i can you know? yeah of course for sure so what i'm trying to and do who knows then but like maybe you know maybe you will be one of the lucky ones for sure by the time that you know, i have no idea about that you know? yeah but like you can tell me anything to make my health better i'm gonna try it for sure you know because, again, I don't want to get any regrets. So, for sure, it's not because I'm healthy, I have, like, a good nutrition, I'm, I'm doing, like, exercise, meditation and stuff, that I don't going to get the disease. Of course, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. But I want to try everything, you know. As long as I'm in health and I don't have a disease, at least, well, I did my best again, you know. Did mm -hmm. you try Wim Hof, by the way? Yeah, for sure. I'm doing Wim Hof method, yeah. yeah. I'm getting, like, cold shower every day. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm into it since like two years. That would be interesting to uh, to see you go and actually, you know, for his retreat to go and actually uh, do the mouth press and stuff. It will be interesting, you know. Yeah, I think I think it should happen at some point. Mm -hmm. I think you need to try and make that happen. That would be interesting. Like, yeah, there's something about this guy, just going up a Mount Cresco with him. Being... And he's from Netherlands, so oh yeah, yeah, it's close to. It's like, pretty close. Friends, yeah. It is kind of crazy that in a week he brings people up there. Yeah, to, yeah. with their underwear. Um, so what was the, the, that transition between, um, your normal life to the life after you got mm -hmm. the diagnosis, uh, how long did it take you to kind of balance yourself out? Was it a month? Was it a year? Well, actually I feel really grateful because I think I made a good decision, right? Like six months. So you made a good? Good decision. Okay. Like six months. Uh, after my after that I got tested, I traveled the world, you know. So I didn't have a lot of time to think about it, you know. I, I was like discovering new places all the time, new people. I was like enjoying my trip and my dream, right? So they didn't. I mean, there is no, there was no place for Huntington. So um, I think it was like a kind of therapy. And then when I got because like three years ago, I was like. It was impossible for me to talk about that, you know. Uh, you mean psychologically? And physically, you know, I was checking, I was so scared. You know, so I that's what I mean. How long did it take you to kind of... Like two years, I guess. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, actually deal with the condition. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow, two years of just... But again, I think like all of my habits, you know, my healthy habits helped me a lot for sure. When you are like doing everything you can to feel good, of course, like, and if you get discipline, like we learn in Vipassana, of course, like you're gonna get some rewards from it. And I really believe that, you know, like right now, if if I'm like more able to talk about it, if I'm able to do all of these things, like, because it's really tough for me. I mean, I'm gonna see some people in Latin America who have like poverty, and struggling with Huntington disease, so they don't have any treatment, they don't have any doctors, they don't have anything, you know. It's really, really sad. And of course I'm sad, you know. But I think I'm able to do it, because 
I worked a lot of on my mental condition and my physical condition. So that's how I got like the strength, you know. That that is kind of incredible. And then, so, when you decided to go on this specific tour of South America, uh, do you usually set up everything in advance? Do you like talk to the centers and the communities, and so everybody know you're coming, or you just kind of plan it as you go? Somewhere? With the social network and the pandemic, it was like the perfect way for me. I mean, like. Since a year right now, a year half, I'm working on this project, you know, and with the social network, I can like get connected with a lot of people in Latin America, association, doctors and everything. So I make like, I made a, a big network and also I'm working like with an American association who are helping some countries in Latin America. So they are, they are sharing with me their network, you know, so that's how I... I can meet all of those people. There's one more thing that I wanted to explore with you, which is um, when either you live, like, you know, there's a treatment and you live into your old age or the disease does take place and you live shorter life, what do you feel that you want your legacy to be? Like, is there something that you want to be remembered by more than anything or this is something you don't think about yeah for sure if you think about that that's the purpose of my project you know it's like doing something good helping people sharing doing something from the huntington community and then the day i'm getting like the disease or i'm gonna die well i know people are gonna remember remember me in a good way right I, i cannot make any family so i cannot have any kids sharing with them you know like giving them before i'm gonna die so i'm trying to find some ways to you know like remember me and you know the actual thing that will continue your name yeah yeah, yeah that is a mindfuck mm-hmm. the no the because it the, might be real like i'm only 30 years old and i'm already thinking about my death but for sure you know when you have this kind of you have to deal with this kind of situation yeah, in your no, life no. it's i mean you think about it you know yeah and i i i think like everybody sh- should think about it like what i gonna how the people are gonna remember about myself, you know? Because yeah. you're gonna start to act and live in a different way, you know? Yeah. This feeling we have that we're gonna live forever is a very dominant uh, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And I think that my rant about, uh, you know, people not appreciating the moment is along the same lines. It's it's not, you, you it, it's, I think it's a, at the root of saying, oh, I don't feel like doing anything today. I mean, obviously, once in a while, it's okay. But, like, if you do this for a long time, uh, the root of it is kind of the assumption that, you know, I'm going to live for a very long time. Which, first of all, you don't know. And second of all, even if you live the longest time, it's still not that long. It's like, you know... For sure. Even myself, you know? Like, tomorrow I can get cancer. Yeah, who knows? I was... We never knew. Wow, dude, that's like... It's like, it's like, bro, if you're there, what's up? That's, uh, come on. A little bit of leeway. I mean, I mean, that's life, right? No, it so, is. It absolutely is. I, I was thinking about it. No, go ahead, sorry. With this project, you know, I'm, I'm like meeting a lot of people who are like living with Huntington disease in their family as well. And for example, I have like a good example, like a couple. So like the girl, she... Her mother, she has Huntington disease, like she's 45, 50 years old, something like that. 
And like, so her daughter, she got tested. She knows she positive, right? And she has like 43 tri- triplet, like CAG. So she were like with her boyfriends for 30 years, you know? For 30 years, since Daria, like teenager, actually. And, and actually, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because she's like researcher, right? So on Huntington disease, especially. So she's like dedicating her life on Huntington disease for the Huntington community. She carried a gene, like her mother, like has the disease as well. And you know what? Like, so she was with someone for 13 years. And when she started to talk about her condition to her boyfriend, you know, she thought like, all right, he he, he gonna run away, you know. He for sure he don't gonna he wouldn't make any family or stuff. So she was so scared. Finally, she talked to him, you know, and the guy was cool, you know. He he like accept the situation. He said, all right, you know, we are together, so we're gonna stay together. I'm gonna help her, whatever happens, you know. And you know what? Like six months later, the guy got like a cancer okay. out of the blue, and he died. That's crazy, you know. That is, yeah, that is life. That's life, you know? Yeah. We never know, you know? That's what I'm saying yeah. to people. Yeah. There's there's a... I was thinking about it, the, uh, I think yesterday, actually. I was like... Because I was making plans, all kinds of things. And I was like, oh. I was thinking um, 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was thinking about, like, the future. I was thinking about, like, kinds of stuff. And I was like, it would be fascinating to see what the world is going to be like at 2041. Right, and I was like, "Wait, I'm I'm gonna be almost sixty in twenty years. That's crazy. That's that's crazy. It's like, bro, sixty. That's like, you know what I mean? That's like an old guy. Yeah, like for sure. I was like, wow, like that. Life is just goes like that. So it's like, uh, it's it's. I I find myself even though I understand you know everything that I'm telling you, which is like you know the paying attention more to the moment and everything, it's very difficult to remember that on a daily basis when everything is kind of like... An for, sure. Yeah. for sure, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so I, I, I'm going to ask you uh, one more question about the subject and then we can either take but a break. Just like an answer about what you're saying right now. is like, like myself, since I got tasted, I'm, I'm saying all the time, all right, Dimitri, you know you're going to get this disease. You go- you're probably gonna get like a shorter life to most of people because if I get the disease like between 35 and 40 years old, it's gonna be really hard. But at least everything you are doing right now, well, you're gonna make a really intense life, right? You're gonna have a lot of experience. That's why I'm traveling a lot. That's why I'm living like in a lot of country abroad and stuff because it makes me feel I have like different lives, right? And for example, I'm only 33 years old. Oh, because you visit in a different place. Yeah, because I can say like, all right, I, I used to live in Vietnam for a year. I used to live in Vancouver for a year. You know, I, I stay for like two months in Argentina. I know people all around the world. You know, I got like, I'm only 33 years old. I got tons of experiences. Yeah. But on the flip side, there is some people who are like 80 years old. And they have, well, they are still living, but they have like an empty life. There was like doing a routine for 40 years, like the same thing at work, you know, with the same woman, with the same people. And that's all, you know? And I've, well, I, I think I'm happier by living this life than getting like a long life. But 
because I, I, I might have like a short life, but it will be like a meaningful life, right? And I prefer to get this kind of life that, you know, living for until 100 years old, but in the same routine with the same people. Yeah, that's what I think. I 100% agree. I think that the most important thing is to use every moment of your life that you can mm -hmm. to uh, enjoy the, the path and also have different experiences that enrich uh, everything that you do. Because in the end, either there's an afterlife, no afterlife, God, aliens, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. In the end, you're here. So the, what you know for sure is available to you is to have all those different experiences and to have them in such different flavors that I think can inform you about the larger scope of what experiences might be, mm -hmm. unless you wouldn't have those things. So I'm 100% with you on that, uh, on that thing. Uh, what I wanted to say is that uh, it's not, for me it's not the it's not the last subject I want to ask about, but I, I want to ask one more question, and, and then uh, either take a break or, or adjourn if you're too tired. I want us to go and uh, I just need a little bit of coffee, like also kind of like windling down, and I, I want to go and uh, grab a lunch or something. Uh, but what I wanted to ask you uh, is, in the end of of everything that you do, you don't think that there's something, it, it, I'm already warning you that the question is a little bit out there. Um, you don't think that something in the world, in the universe, in nature, mm -hmm. registers the actions that you take throughout the life? I don't believe in this kind of stuff, no. Interesting. I think we all have like, the cards to deal with your life, you know, and it's all about choices, you know. But 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 ultimately, when you're gone, it doesn't really have any larger meaning to anything else outside of you. I don't believe it. No, interesting. But it, it might be, you know. But yeah, yeah. No, I'm asking. At this point of my life, no, I'm not. I'm not asking it. you, like you know, for like definitive answer. I wanna I wanna see mm -hmm. how you view it, because it does paint everything you do, and it, just like you know, like we said, if if you do the bicep curl or you have bone cancer, that's the frame in which you're seeing the pain. The frame in which you see what you do also changes dramatically what you believe the net uh, outcome and uh, uh, actual product that you put out there. Mm -hmm. So like if it, because it's very easy to get lost in the romantic idea of, you know, so what I do matters. To like something bigger uh, and it's also very easy to become very cynical on the other side which is to say well you know in the end I mean it's all good we want to be good people but not because somebody's sitting up there with a chart uh, but it also is very easy to get very cynical from that perspective in the end just like you I care about what's true in the end, what matters is what in fact is true, not what I want it to mm -hmm. be. But I want—I was wondering if there's like a there's there's it's 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 interesting. I I find that actually the people that are really good at developing something or really good with the skill, they are the ones that actually rely on the notion. And the idea that there's something guiding them way less. 
And I think that's a, an important relationship with the world because you take much more responsibility for what you do and how good you can get and how much work you actually have to put in versus waiting for something to kind of help you to become a good thing or help you to get a million dollars or whatever it is. Um, and that's why I always ask this question because I always want to see like what's the, what is the majority of, of opinion mm -hmm. among people who actually make like a stronger, make stronger choices in life. Yeah, it's more on us. Um, I want to, yeah, I want to take like a super short break. I want to get us some coffee and some food. For are you sure. cool with that? Yeah, yeah, okay. sure. So we're back. Yeah, we are back a little bit of a break. Um, what do I want to ask you? Oh, first of all, uh, you traveled to a lot of places in the world that we didn't touch on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want you to tell me a little bit what it's like to live. Where did you live for a year, you said? In Vietnam and Canada, Vancouver. Wait. One year in one year, or yeah, I lived like one year in Vietnam. I was like English teacher, and then I used to live in Vancouver, Canada, for a year as well. What did you do in Vancouver for a year? Well, I was learning English at first, and then I got like a job over there, and I stayed for a year. Yeah. And can you tell me a little bit about those experiences of what it's like to interact with those different cultures? Well, it was fascinating because you know it was actually my first experience abroad, my country, so. Like, I'm originally from a little town in France, so I never got, like, the experience to talk with, like, foreigner people. Like, when I was in Vancouver, I was meeting, like, Japanese, you know, Korean, Chinese, like, Brazilian, like, German, like, people from all around the world. So it really opened my mind, you know? But do you feel that something... I mean, I know, like, open, open your mind is a little general. So, like, can you share a little bit of, like, specifics of how you feel that it opened your mind? Like... Did you not have some acceptance of like different kinds of creeds before then? It seems like you're pretty open, right? But I was kind of close-minded at first, you know. That's oh, okay. why like all these kind of experiences changed me so so much. So know? see, that part is missing in my story of you. So like, I didn't know. Like, it's not obvious that you were close-minded because you seem to be pretty open-minded. Uh, is it? So you feel like it definitely changed you in that it direction? It changed so much. You know, mm. I was like another person. You know? When I get back in France, so more patience towards other people, or more tolerance, more open, you know, like more mature, of course. Well, yeah, I mean, more mature. You can say also about like all kinds of experiences, but specifically. No, but for me, like when you live and experience abroad, you do much more things that you're gonna do in your country, right? What do you mean? Because you meet more people, you learn different new languages, you like open yourself to new activities. And if I was like staying in France in my routine, I was like doing the same thing all the time, you know. Oh, well, you you can you can do that as well in your country, but that's what happened in my experience when I was yeah. like. Leaving no, no, I'm with you. I think that when you're outside of the bounds of your own cultural uh, uh, fabricated world, like you in your own. You know, like there's a certain things that are expected of you and you expect of other people and, and it's done a certain way. And then when you're outside of that, all of a sudden, you know, you make a certain gesture or you say a certain thing that doesn't necessarily translate it, is not necessarily translated the same way. So you have to actually pause and you have to like really think how you comport yourself, how you do, like you can see that there's other ways to do things, for example. So it becomes much clearer that uh, the, it's not the only way to do it. And it might be obvious logically, but I think when you encounter that, it really can yeah, open. It's amazing. Like, for me, I feel like 
I only spent a year there, but it's like I spent three years, you know, in my mind. When I got back in France, I was like so different, you know, I spent. Mm. And when, when I can compare my life, when I'm traveling so much, you know, or living like in different countries, and then I, I get back in my country and I talk with my friends, like we have a totally different life, you know. So they are keeping doing the same thing all the time. They are doing their job, you know, they are with their girlfriend, or I don't know. They, they are in their routine, right? Wait, wait, how small is the town you're from? I think there is like 150,000 people or something like that. Oh, so tiny. Yeah, yeah, Literally tiny. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's a really small town. What is, I'm, I'm very ignorant when it comes to geography and things like that. What is north of France known for? Is there like Agriculture. A, okay. And industries. Yeah. So that's the main thing. Yeah. And you said, okay, because it's already closer to the border, right? There's a lot of uh, mm -hmm. trade. What, uh, in, now that you're going to South America... Uh, what are the the key places that you're going to stop at? Because you said it's going to take about a couple of years, right? Two years? Well, actually, from Mexico, I think I'm going to... I hope I can reach, like, Argentina in a year and a half. That's my goal, actually. Uh, you, all the way down? Yeah. Okay. In, in a year and a half? Yeah, in a year and a okay. half. Okay. And what are the key places that you already planned on? Is there something... Well, I'm going to cross all Central America, so Guatemala... Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and then Panama. And from Panama, I got a flight in Colombia. Because you cannot get in South America from the, like the land borders, right? It's too dangerous. It's all about jungle and there is some like narco traffic. So it's better. Which is great for a bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as well. <laughs> so I'm going to fly from Panama. Can you make some extra cash and move? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fly like straight to Colombia. And in Colombia, I'm gonna like let my bike in Colombia and fly into Venezuela, because I think it's safer to get in Venezuela like by flight. Because well, there is like a, I'm I'm traveling in South America because there is a history about Huntington disease here. You know, I have like purpose to be here. Wait, I don't know about this. So why? Yeah, that's why. Like so, here there is a lot of people who get the disease. You know, more than in the U.S. or in the Europe. You know. What's the genetical lineage? That, that caused this is it like colonization oh interesting mm -hmm. so it can all it happens from Europe you know so where is when the trace to mostly Spain originally or yeah 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 oh really Spain in Venezuela and in Colombia hmm interesting mm -hmm. so that's how they got the disease here and especially in Venezuela you know so there is a place which we call the Maracaibo Lake and you have a lot of communities living with Huntington disease because those people like like 200 years back they was kind of isolated right like the people were saying oh, all right those people are crazy you know they they shouldn't live in the city you know so there was like kind of like rejecting people living with huntington so but also there was probably no awareness of what it started to like they they only live together you know in little villages and that's how like they created some huntington disease communities in venezuela especially in colombia Wow. Yeah. So the okay. So the awareness is like a has a different kind of weight there because Absolutely. creating the awareness is also creating the openness for the mm -hmm. situation and maybe some inclusiveness basically. And the first time we discovered like the gene of Huntington disease, it was in nineteen ninety three, and it was like a scientific from the US. So she discovered the gene in Venezuela actually. Oh really? Yeah. So basically, you're saying South America is very like it's very prominent yeah. and it's just way more prominent than people yeah, think. Yeah, that's why. And so the. That's, that's so crazy to me that like basically it just 
the, a lot of the people you're saying that live in you know on the streets they probably have some form of Huntington's like it, it's not crazy to assume that a good percentage of them do yeah for sure because yeah. society basically rejects yeah them. absolutely but isn't it true that in places that are less developed you know and the, the streets you know, are back in the days people thought like there was like demons really Catholic they thought it was demons or devil you know but it's like uh, no I'm saying that in places that are less developed it seems like the streets are kind of like the norm right it's like closer to so like it's not like they're rejected in a big city where there's like very high uh, uh, level of living for a lot of people and then they kind of fall off the wagon in places with less money it seems like the the drop is not as well of course but there is like I mean there are poor countries for sure we were talking about specifically about the uh, when countries are poorer right so maybe the drop it's not like it's not horrible they're probably ostracized by society but it seems like it's not as crazy of a drop in level of living even though you know obviously the disease but it's just like they don't get like uh, there might be not as much of a difference maybe in the way I think there are still some like difference like level of poverty you know inside the poor oh countries. interesting yeah for sure hmm so there it's like like crazier it depends where you are for sure yeah hmm and especially like around the Lake Maracaibo I know it's really really poor you know what do you do for when you encounter those cases? I mean, obviously, it's very sad uh, because you also have the you know the gene and uh, the condition, and it's going to develop. Uh, it you know you you have this deeper understanding of what it's like to live with if, if, even the potential of it. But what do you when you go and you actually meet with the senators and the, the organizations? What is your take me through your actual day? Like, how does it look like? Like, you just go like you. Uh, address there's like a public like you do like an interview you talk to the experts you then talk to the people who have it what how does the, the day actually well look? usually they welcome me you know and they show me like their work so they're about laboratories or like association they, they show me how do they work here like, so for example here I met like the um, Mexican Huntington Association so they show me how they work especially with like in Mexico you know then they share with me like how many cases they have like here in the country and usually I'm doing the kind of interview you know with them and for you you learn more about the situation yeah in different sure. places and you understand the bigger picture well I learn about the situation in each places but I also learn about like Huntington disease you know about the research and everything because I met like lot of people in science field or doctors I mean here I had like the opportunity to meet like geneticians, neurologists, researchers so it's really interesting for me you know what is the main um, where is the majority of the influence of any finances that go in the direction of Huntington's is it in research or is it in creating awareness and, and uh, creating environments for communities to kind of like feel like they have a That's place? That's a good question, it? actually. There is two kind of people, in, like different kind of association. For example, in France, they focus on like research. So every donation is for research. But for example, like via association Factor H, which I'm working with them in the US, they are more caring about people, you know? So it's different. They don't like invest that much in research. 
So they want to handle the situation of the people that already have it now, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Yeah. And do, what is, do, do you have any plans or like, did you ever conceive of like what, what kind of plans can potentially take place in the future for you where you maybe create like a, you know, like an actual, some kind of a trust fund that you, through the awareness that's going to grow and like mm-hmm. donations is going to go, do you feel like you're going to focus, uh, donating more to research or to the community thing or both or like what do you feel like it's going to be I'm trying to give to everyone you know so for research for like France Association European Latin America I'm trying to like split all the donations so you so you're already raising donations right mm-hmm. and how do you do that specifically because I want people to know because I want to be able to so I made like a crowdfunding with GoFundMe so I already raised like around ten thousand dollars and but it's gonna need like much more serious amounts, basically. For sure, for sure. And the majority of the um, uh, money in the field, like for example, in France, does it come from the government or does it come? Where does it come from? It depends from some like they are working the, the big, with some the, the companies, biggest. for example, okay. organization. They have a bit from like government, but not, not that much. But honestly, in France, they they have like a lack of money. You know, they don't like. For example, I was so surprised because here the Mexican Huntington Association. They have like a better structure, a better like kind of company. Well, it looks like they have more money than in France, for example. So I was like really sure. And even like when I talk with the people here, they ask me, so how does it work like in France? What's like the infrastructure of the association, how you guys are working? And I was like sharing with them. And then they was like so surprised that actually it sounds much better here. So I think it's all about money, right? Well, the ability to operate and do something, yeah. but that's why I'm asking because I want to. I want to also potentially try and help and uh, push the message out, but I'm trying to figure out what what is the most effective. So, pro- for sure, sending like making people aware of your GoFundMe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, is well, I'm trying to think. Like, there's a what you're doing already is very interesting. I think maybe amplifying just the 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 sound wave around what you're doing, I think it would make people uh, more aware. It's it's something that it's always, it, for me personally, it's always hard to kind of know because there's so many different things in the world for people to pay attention to. So they have, you know, it, it's always difficult to know what is the the thing you want to attach yourself emotionally to. Mm-hmm. And uh, because you're saying it's such a small minority of like the percentage of, is it a small minority in the world too or just in France? Yeah, yeah, in the world. Just a tiny one. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and it seems like, well, you know, I'll def- we'll definitely, like, first of all, definitely uh, create more awareness around your fund. Uh, I'm going to keep, like, keeping a very close eye on what you're doing. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited to do this again uh, when, when we can, when our paths will cross again. Uh, at work, uh, tell people where they can find you specifically on social media on so they can google like explore for Huntington that's the name one of word it. just yeah explore okay. for Huntington without any space and they're gonna find like my Instagram page Facebook page I got a website as well and my crowdfunding like go for me yeah but I wanna talk um, also about my Please. my crowdfunding is like I'm sponsoring some kids right now in Colombia you know through like Factor H Association because you can sponsor wait repeat that please again I'm sponsoring some kids so that oh. means if you give like three hundred dollars, 
they have like some furniture to get to school for a year and they have enough food for a year you know wow yeah so okay that's very very important three hundred dollars and they can leave actually for a year and why specifically especially some kids is because well they are at risk of Huntington they lost like their parents like one of their parents they are living with family you know or people who are like helping them but they are like most of them orphan so most of them are orphans orphans yeah. wow yeah so how do you manage that structure the economical structure of just $300 a year is that just like how little it costs to to live in those places or? no it's not about myself it's, it's because I'm like no no for the kids I mean how did you structure this like model in which for $300 the kids get it's to it's like the association like Factor H you know because mm. they are working in Colombia Venezuela and Peru what is it called again say Factor H Factor H yeah Factor H oh Huntington Factor H yeah. interesting so that's like that's I'm assuming that's a big organization in LA actually oh okay so yeah. Factor H is an organization and the director is like a Spain, a Spanish researcher. Okay. So he's like dedicating his life on Huntington disease, like trying to find a treatment. And when he when he came like in Latin America, he was like making some like events, you know, talking about like the research, talking about his work in the US and like all the like the update about the Huntington disease. And then he met some families, you know, living with like the disease and then he realized he needed to do something, you know, to help them. So that's how we made like this association. Uh, so he's a biologist originally, or researcher. So he's somebody that you in direct contact with all the time. Yeah, right? for sure, for sure. I met him like two days ago in Mexico City. Oh, so for he, the first time he yeah. travels all over. And because of him, you know, I got like all of his network here in Latin America. So that's how I can meet a lot of people. And, you know, it's all about networking and you, you get to know like one person and then you're going to get to know like 10 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's how it works. And actually I'm here like since three weeks and I already met a lot of people. Like every day I'm meeting people here. It's unbelievable. So if people want to find out more about what you do, where do they go specifically? They on it, I'm going to link the Instagram account and everything, mm -hmm. but anything else that you want to specifically mention? So they can Google like Explore for Huntington. And they're going to find like my Instagram, Facebook page, crowdfunding, GoFundMe, and my website. And also, you know, by, by searching Explore for Huntington, you're going to find my GoFundMe page. And your GoFundMe page is, you already raised, I mean, so far a very small amount considering the, what we're aiming yeah, for is like 10,000. I only raised like $10,000 actually right now. And what is the goal that you put on that? Uh, $15,000, but I can like set it up when I, whenever I want. Yeah, okay. So this is something that clearly needs to be... Mm -hmm. Yeah, keep... So, and you are going to be focusing on traveling South America right now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like we said, raising awareness. Uh, I'm going to keep following very closely with what you're doing. Uh, I, I really am um, very moved by what you're doing. That's kind of like the obvious. Um, but uh, it's something that I think more people need to be kind of expand the horizon and understand that there's actually relatively little, like we can do relatively little and make a big difference. And I think that's the thing that people need to process a little more. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely going to try and do my best to, to help people process that as much as possible. Uh, I find, uh, I really find personal inspiration what you do. Again, uh, we said this off camera, uh, it, it's 
it's always easy to kind of fall into this immediate response of like, oh, wow, you know, this person is going through something very rough. So you have this like, that's, you know, what a strong person, like that, that's very like impressive on its own. But I, I, there's really like a deep sense of respect that I feel for the fact that you actually choose to do this and actually use your time to, to help others. People or under, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that is not a given. And I'm sure you know that to some extent, but sometimes it's nice when somebody reminds you that what you're doing is actually very important. So I, I thank you deeply for, uh, you took quite a ride up here. I mean, I just took a plane. It's not really, I wasn't doing anything, but you, you know, you went through all this crazy traffic here. Um, mad respect and admiration, man. And I, I'm, so much, I'm, I'm excited about following your journey very mm-hmm. closely and help promote it. And also... Uh, doing this again the second weekend maybe you'll be in the US or yeah, come South America somewhere but and thank you so much to like giving me the opportunity to raise awareness for like the Huntington disease because like before myself like talking about the disease and I think like I'm really grateful that you can like making an interview and you can talk about about this disease like what I'm doing my projects for this something really important for me to communicate right about the project so thank you so much you can hear like from LA <laughs> in it's Mexico LA, man. It's like, yeah. so. I didn't fly from the other side of the world but I appreciate your appreciation and uh, but seriously it's, it's a pleasure like really I I'm very very moved by by your mission and by you as a person so just keep doing what you're doing and uh, I'm very excited to do this again very soon thank you so much bro and respect bro. take care uh,